0: This is The Legal Impact, the weekly show presented by the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. Now accepting applications for JD and graduate programs. Learn more and apply at law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire and UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. I'm your host, AJ Kierstedt, and today I'm joined by Professor Bud Schur, Director of the International Criminal Law and Justice Programs. Welcome back to the show. Good to be back. So let's talk about the situation revolving around the Ukrainian conflict and war crimes. We've kind of discussed this in the past around the International Criminal Court specifically, but it's been several months This conflict is still going on. And it's going to go on for
1: a while. And uh, what appear to be, you know, we base this all on report news reports, uh, but Mm -hmm. they seem pretty detailed and with a good number of pictures. It seems to be more and more problems developing in this area. I mean, as a general matter, just as an example, I don't offer these three locations as the only place where they're seeing it, but uh, in a, a town called Buka. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was occupied uh, during the the uh, Russians' efforts to take Kiev mm-hmm. or Kyiv. Um, they after they left, there is evidence of the the a massacre of uh, civilians, you know, including torture, mutilation, rape, looting, uh, deliberate killing of c- civilians, um, and it was it, it, mass graves in that way. Um, in a town called Isium. Uh there were again mass graves uh, the, the it's pretty well documented actually 414 uh, civilians and uh, uh, you know maybe attempts of that in terms of actual military personnel uh, some of the bodies showed evidence of torture mm-hmm. um, uh, and then in uh, the recently uh, liber- so-called liberated uh, Harrison, or sometimes I'll pronounce it Kearsan. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there, there's a, a there's a lot of evidence of forced deportation of children, mm-hmm. as well as adults. You know, there's some estimates that over a million Ukrainians have been kidnapped and deported to uh, Siberia um, in Russia. Um, there's also plenty of evidence of sexual violence of all sorts, uh, the mistreatment of prisoners of war. There's some other evidence around the country of using Ukrainians as human shields in battle, mm-hmm. uh, be they uh, captured Ukrainian soldiers or just civilians. So you know, there's this a good deal of reporting. Uh, both from independent reporters, journalists, and also the International Criminal Court, which has started an investigation. Oh, that. Um, they actually have been investigating since back in 2014 or 15 mm-hmm. when Russia initially uh, took over Crimea, uh, occupied Crimea. And, you know, uh, um, I'll come back to that a little later, but. Uh, but they, they, in March of this year, they started, shortly after the original invasion um, of 2022, they started investigating and collecting data. So uh, it tends to be the data, the information I hate to refer to, you know, the horrors we're talking about is data, but, you know, in, in terms of, as a prosecutor, or an investigator for the International Criminal Court you you you're trying to collect hard evidence mm-hmm. of this not just what people say. It's not that what people say aren't of value, but the the more, it's like any criminal case, you know, you want more than just what people say to make it as strong a case as possible.
0: And, and what's unique when it comes to a situation like this compared to more of a, crimin, a traditional criminal court and domestic situation where you have like, this is the person that did the thing. It's like, no, you're talking about countless victims across a, an yep. entire country. Yep. And how do you, prosecute it with a country that says, well, we don't really give a a care at all about the International Criminal Court.
1: Exactly. Well, in fact, Russia withdrew from the International Criminal Court in 2016 when the International Court came out and said, we find that uh, Russia's invasion of Crimea, Crimea now counts as a Ongoing occupied territory. That was a formal yeah. announcement by the International Criminal Court uh, prosecutors, and Russia, with that, withdrew from the International Criminal Court. And and uh, you know, one of the we've talked uh, in previously about the International Criminal Court. One of the issues here is currently neither Ukraine or Russia are signatories on the Rome Statute. That is that which. Uh, it, it, Uh, out of which grew the International Criminal Court so for the International Criminal Court to be involved uh, they need to have a referral from a member uh, country Hmm. Uh, Lithuania was the first country uh, who made a formal referral this year Um, uh, there are now 41 countries who are members of the International Criminal Court who have joined in that referral so uh, uh you know, there's issues with transacting this through the International Criminal mm-hmm. Court um, you, one you've got to identify specific people you can't just say the country of Russia yeah. it's, you, you go after individuals um, so can you identify individual soldiers uh, if you can can you ar- if they're in Russia how are you going to arrest them and bring them to the Hague where the International Criminal Court is located um number two what wh- you really want to do is go after the higher ups the generals Etc perhaps Vladimir Putin who have been ordering this kind of, and I, to, to the extent they've been ordering this conduct um and uh I mean that's even harder to do yeah you know some of the some of the uh, crimes against humanity uh or and war crimes that have been occurring are, Attacks on civilian populations, indiscriminate attacks on yeah. civilian populations—like
0: very reminiscent of early World War Two days when you hear about stories like that. Like they're they're shelling cities to and, to, to beat to get the Ukrainian government to back off to and concede it.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's been heartily unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just kind of gets the Ukrainians even more focused on on winning the war, but you know. Who's ordering those? How can you identify who's ordering those? These are always problems with um, with prosecutions in the International Criminal Court. Uh, figuring out who who is ordering it, getting people to uh, turn over uh, the individuals. Uh, you know, it's easier in countries where uh, there was a reign of terror, and then those who were leading the reign of terror uh, fell from power. And others in the country could identify them, but this is an invading country. The identity issues, identification issues, are much more
0: difficult. Um, and I, how how much complexity does it add to the situation? That this is this sounds like opinionated, but it's it's pretty straightforward based on the evidence that we've seen so far of how the invasion has kind of not been as successful as they're hoping but the ineptitude of the military with either resources or manpower or leadership to go into this country and do this like does that add complexity with regards to pointing out this this general or whatever really is the one that's responsible and, and also the nature of Russia's kind of abandoning a lot of these soldiers in various parts around around the country, basically, which ends up being a death sentence for them.
1: Yeah, you know, interestingly, um, their incompetence, what appears to be relative incompetence, uh, I mean, it seems, let me put it this way, it seems that Russia is transacting this war in a we got more people than you. Yeah. We can afford to have more of our people die, and we'll just c- keep sending waves of them at you and wear you out. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's slightly oversimplified, but not by much. Appears yeah. to be their approach to this, um, since their shock and awe effort in February of this year, you know, was completely unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. They really didn't get all that close to uh, Kiev. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, oddly. It may make some of the identity issues easier because they may, there may be Russian soldiers who are prisoners of war, who can identify people. Mm-hmm. <coughs> uh, so that may make it easier. You know, I don't know, and my guess is the Ukrainian Ukrainian military are not coming out and identifying them. But I don't know. But they have, you know, high-ranking officials in the Russian army, at least in that, that who were present in Ukraine. They may have captured some of them, and who can, you know, identify individuals. Hmm. So it may make it. It may provide for some opportunities that wouldn't otherwise be there when it's a, a war involving in uh, the invasion of another country by uh, one country. Um, so, that said, we've talked about the International Criminal Court. There's a couple other things going on. The European Union has are, is now talking about putting together a special tribunal mm-hmm. to um, prosecute war crimes. Probably would need the approval of the U.N., unclear whether just the General Assembly or the Security Council, if it includes the Security Council, you know, likely China and Russia will yeah. veto, um, but if not, uh, uh, you know, then the General Assembly would probably vote for it. Um, but a special tribunal, like they had a special tribunal uh, created by the UN for the former Yugoslavia, mm-hmm. um, which just focuses, it, it's Separate from the International Criminal Court, it's not a function of the Rome Statute. They're they're authorizing uh, agreement. It's really, Rome Statute is basically a treaty, uh, an international treaty. Uh, It'd be separate from that, um, and uh, they would set up their own prosecution system. Um, There's two ways that they're talking about doing it even assuming they can get there, which is a a big if. But um, either to have like an ad hoc uh, special tribunal for uh, the Ukraine, for Ukraine. Um, That's one way to do it. it. It superimposes itself on this conflict and prosecutes war crimes, crimes against humanity. The other way of doing it is internationalizing Ukrainian domestic courts. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did that to some extent. There's a lot of talk about that in Rwanda, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the, 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 the value of that is it is more, uh, it, it allows the Ukrainian people upon whom these atrocities have been in, affli- uh, inflicted to have uh, much more of a say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, for them to be doling out justice in cooperation with the international community. I mean, the whole point of war crimes, crimes against humanity, genocide, is those three categories of conduct. Uh, going back to the Nuremberg trials, you know, the whole concept behind the Nuremberg trials, however one thinks about them, was that there are certain crimes that are go beyond individual countries, mm-hmm. that are crimes... Against humanity are violations of international human rights of such an extreme nature that the international community Comes together and says we as an international community are gonna punish these not just as an individual country Mm -hmm. Uh, You know now it took 50 60 years before the Rome Statute came in, you know, they started talking about this post-Nuremberg trials. And it took forever, as as does any worthwhile international treaty, mm-hmm. to come into being. It took you know, 50, 60 years of negotiation, but it, it came into being. Um, so the problem with doing it from an international perspective is it sidelines the country upon whom these atrocities were inflicted. right? And that, there's problems with that. And so they've experimented over the years with these special tribunals that have kind of, it's been a hybrid of, of the domestic court system and uh, the international system. So that's being talked about. Yeah. Again, that's got the, the problem of getting through the UN. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of conversations about that in the European Union. Then the third thing that's going on which is not directly involved in the kinds of the murder, the torture, the sexual violence, but uh, some of the violence, the destruction that Russia is uh, wreaking on, on on Ukraine, just in terms of
0: physical destruction. Yeah, it's like cities are leveled. Yeah, cities are leveled. You
1: look at uh, Kherson, right? Yeah, Kherson. Um, it, you know, it's just like leveled, mm-hmm. which is what the what the. You know, Russia did in Syria what they did in Grozny um, and uh, many years ago. Um, the European Union has frozen billions of euros mm-hmm. of Russian money, and they're already talking about setting up a system when the war is over to use that money to rebuild uh, Ukraine. Um, the physical to recover start to recover from the physical destruction. Mm-hmm. So that's another way of managing that which Russia has inflicted on Ukraine. Uh, that's important, not necessarily at a, uh, at a uh, emotional level as important as trying to uh, prosecute uh, war crimes, but it's something that, has a chance of being
0: more achievable. Yeah. In assisting the situation in a more direct fashion that doesn't involve necessarily sending more weapons of war into the situation which yeah. is just kind of prolonging the situation at this point. Uh, what what sort of complications is it going to are, are there with the fact that this war likely, I use war in quotes basically, it just is going to be continuing indefinitely because this is a situation where Russia has sunk so much um, blood, treasure, everything into this. The West has basically sunk just billions and billions of dollars into this and in weapons, the refugee situation that that's involved with this. This very likely is going to be an Afghanistan sort of situation like the U.S. dealt with what what are the implications from the war crimes perspective if this is the case?
1: Um, The short answer that I would like to be the answer is none. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that, assuming the war crimes prosecutions, you know, uh, the International Criminal Court, for example, doesn't need the blessing of... Russia or the United States to do their investigation and go about that. If the European Union goes about investigating these Euro- war crimes and setting up a special tribunal mm-hmm. for the Ukraine, uh, that's independent of the politics in the United States. It's independent of the politics in in Russia. So, as a as a architecturally mm-hmm. or structurally. That the war continues to go on and there is, you know, political back and forth about what an ending might look like, it doesn't really matter. That said, answer two is, you know, if these war crimes investigations, crimes against humanity investigations, use of the billions of euros uh, process gets some traction, then it might be part of a settlement. Of some sort, you know, Ukraine has been very adamant about if there's any if there's going to be any settlement, one, Russia's got to get out of the country, including Crimea, yeah. uh, and two, they got to pay for the destruction they wrought. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if they do that, you know, I don't know, would Ukraine be willing to say if you do that, we'll back off on the prosecution? We'll talk to the International Criminal Court to back off. Boy, isn't that a
0: a profoundly complicated moral judgment. Professor Bozure, Director of the International Criminal Law and Justice Programs, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Legal Impact presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. To help a word about the show, please be sure to subscribe and comment on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Get the back episodes of the show and podcast links at law.unh.edu slash podcasts.